This is Jose Trevino with the Texas Rangers. Welcome to Texas Ranger Baseball Podcast with Jeff and John. Jeff Wilson started covering the Texas Rangers in 2008, though he'll never forget 2021. Out on his own, he decided it was time to do a podcast, but his wheels were spinning until a nerd came along. There's no going back now. Welcome to the Texas Rangers Baseball Podcast. Here's your host, Jeff Wilson, and the recliner nerd himself, John Moore. All right, everybody, welcome once again to the Texas Rangers Baseball Podcast. This is episode 11, and once again, you pulled it off, man. We're going to have Texas Rangers General Manager Chris Young, who's going to join us here in a little bit. Um, So, season's over. It is. It is. It ended the right way, I guess, if you're a Rangers fan, because (laughs) Ron Washington got a World Series ring, and he did it against the Astros. So, um, you know, I... I, uh, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I predicted the Braves in six. Uh, I just thought they were the hot team. And, you know, they, after the trade deadline, they were the best team in baseball. And, and yeah, they had to come back from below 500 and, and the, the, they didn't clinch the last week. Uh, but uh, that, that division was sneaky good. And, yeah. and so they, they, you know, had, had some tight games. Their metal was tested a little bit. Uh, you know, I, Astros, I, I, I don't, you know, just kind of looking at how the playoffs went, I thought maybe they used their bullpen too much and didn't use their starters enough. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it caught up to them there, but, uh, glad for, glad for Ron Washington, not only Ron Washington, but Chris Martin, Jesse Chavez, uh, Luke Jackson, Luke Jackson. Yeah. Uh, Drew Smiley's on the team, but we, we didn't get to know Drew that well, but I know the other three, uh, much better. And so, uh, congratulations to all of them. Yeah, and you know what? So I want to go over a few things before we get Chris on here, but let's do that after this. Let's go to our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Superior Sports Investments. Established in 1995, they carry one of the largest graded card inventories in the country with the widest variety of BGS and BCCG and PSA graded sports cards. Unlike other online sellers or auction houses, they own their entire inventory. They don't take consignment, no auctions, so they take pride in every sale that they make. They make sure every card they sell is the highest quality item possible before it leaves their hands and packaged safely and securely. Visit their eBay or Amazon stores to see their entire inventories or browse superiorsportsinvestments.com. That's superiorsportsinvestments.com. And use the promo code THANKS5 for a discount. All right, so all right, so you know we talked about this last week. We went into the the whole deal with the the winter uh, uh, calendar and how this is going to go. It's officially yeah. done now, so it didn't go to the fourth. Fourth is today. That that this ended uh, yesterday. Everyone's free agents. Um, CBA. That seems to be the talk of everybody. If that gets done before, so when does that ex- exactly expire? It's uh, it, it's at midnight um, going into. December 2nd. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a time doc uh, expert. So I don't know if that's midnight on the first or if that's midnight on the second or what, but um, that's the deal. Um, And, and then, you know, I I wrote this today and I've written it several times and it's been told to me several times that in in baseball, whenever there's a deadline, trade deadline, non-tender deadline, any kind of deadline, I read this today down to the very last minute, always, it never fails. Yep. And uh, so I, I think that that enough traction can be made. I mean, even if there's not a deal, if there's headway toward a deal and, and it's going to get done in a matter of days, 
uh, you know, after the deadline passes, uh, they can avoid a lockout. I think that happened uh, uh, maybe two times ago. Um, but you know, the, the reports are that they're far apart right now, but it's also the initial offer. So of course they're going to be far, far apart. Yeah. And I think that as, as we get closer and closer and they realize uh, that, that a lockout or work stoppage isn't good for a sport that's, that's seen as popularity wane. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, especially in the backdrop of an off season, we're going to be talking about, you know, maybe $300 million contracts going to some guys. Yeah. I just, I just think it's, it's an eyesore and they had enough of that during the COVID squabble, you know, when to start the season and when not to. So hopefully uh, that'll get done. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think they will work it out. And as somebody that, that deals in my day job that works with contracts and everything else, when you're not bidding against anybody else, it's just two parties that are bidding. Why not kick the car tires and see where it's at? So the offers aren't going to be far apart right now. You just want to see what the response is. Nothing has, you still got a lot of time to negotiate here. So that's why, okay, now listen, that's why the, I think they're far apart. But yeah, I keep hearing, uh, there seems to be some talk, you see, or hear some saying that possibly there's going to be a lockout, then some, you, you seem to th be a little more on the optimistic side that you think they'll get closer together when we get there. Um, I, in, in the best interest of baseball, I sure hope they don't have a work stoppage. I think that would look bad right now. Yeah, and, and, and the whole, you know, it was great that they came back last year and, and played a, a truncated season. But uh, if they had been uh, a little more cooperative uh, with each other, then this thing would have gotten done and they, they could they would have played more than 60 games. And, and you know, there's the, the squabble over, you know. Yeah the union filed a grievance and all that stuff. And uh, so th there was definitely some bad blood on, on both sides, but ultimately they did, they did play. And that was what was best for the game. And, you know, a work stoppage, I know there aren't games going on right now, but I tell you what, people fo follow the heck out of this off season. And um, that, yep. that's, it's a big time for baseball. And, and so I, I just think that, that stopping, a work stop is just, it's just not a, I don't think it's ever in any, in any sport, in any sense, a good thing. Right. Okay. I got a question about this. Cause we had talked about this last time and I didn't, I didn't even think, cause this could possibly be the Rangers. So when a team makes a qualifying offer to someone, um, the, the player declines the qualifying offer, which means there is a draft pick attached to him. If he signs with another team, it's not the first pick. It's always your second pick, right? The, the second pick that goes. Uh, that's right. Um, and I, there might be some uh, flexibility depending on the size of the contract, but um, yeah, you don't lose first round picks are protected or the, your first, first round pick. Like if you're a team right, right. as multiple picks, um, then, then it's, it's uh, the, it would be the second, the second first round pick would be your highest second, your second highest pick. And that's the one that would go, but um, yeah, that's it. And, and for qualifying offers, um, Players who were traded, uh, who are going to be free agents. Like Chris Bryant, who there's no qualifying after. And and then guys who have received a qualifying offer previously, like Marcus Stroman. Right. They're not allowed to receive another qualifying offer. Okay. So there are some guys out there who, who teams can sign without having to forfeit a pick. Okay, so here's my question. So we there's a lot of guys that are going to get qualifying offers. A lot of the guys that the Rangers are targeting. If the Rangers sign two guys that get qualifying offers, how does who gets what is it second and third round? How does that go? I mean, yeah, I don't know. It is. It is. It's it's the third highest pick and so forth and so on. 
Um, that, that's why, you know, it, it kind of makes sense for them to sign a guy like Bryant. Um, right. Uh, Javier Baez, uh, another guy who, who wouldn't, wouldn't cost the Rangers a draft pick. You know, they are, they are still, uh, re, they're not, they're, they're retooling. I guess they're not rebuilding anymore. They think they're on their way up, but right. they, have the, they have the number three overall pick in every round. So those are, those are big picks. You can, you can get really, really good players at those spots. So they don't want to, they don't want to sacrifice that too many of those. Right. Uh, so I, I, you know, I think one, they'd be willing to part with, but. Uh, you don't think a honest, second one's coming. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, seems kind of hard to stomach and, and just, just knowing the way the game is trended teams have not wanted to surrender these draft picks. Well, i tell you what, there were three names that came out today that are now free agents. One of them's Castellanos, uh, Kikuchi from Seattle, who declined that option. I, I that floored me. He didn't have the greatest second half of the year, but um, and Alvisel Garcia from the Brewers, uh, yeah. I think he had an option too, right? And he he declined it. He did. Yes. Yeah. So those are names. I know Castellanos is a name for sure. That uh, that that uh, there was some. Uh, you said the Rangers had interest in him before. Yeah, back back in 2019, um, he he and Chris Woodward seemed to really hit it off, and uh, it, it it was it came down to money, of course, and um, the the Reds offered more than than the Rangers did, and and I'm not sure it was it was ever that close, but uh, there's a history there, and and apparently they he and Woodward hit it off, and he wanted to come, uh, it just didn't work out. Now he's gonna he's declined his or he's opted out making him a free agent, but he's going to get a qualifying offer. Um, but yeah. that's a, that's a guy to, that's a guy to look for now, you know, you look at, you look at a season, it was great. Um, hitters ballpark. Uh, he would be coming to a, a, a new league and uh, I, I, which he's played in before, but still uh, I, I don't know, you know, if, if you're going to surrender a pick for somebody, I think you can surrender it on somebody a little bit better than, well, than Nick no. and, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. I didn't realize that. I, okay, because he I, he opted out because he had two years remaining at what thirty four million, and he opted. Right. I didn't realize they could put a qualifying offer out. I didn't know that. Yeah, yes. that's that's less likely then because it seems like if you're going to give a draft pick, it's going to be for one of those shortstops. I would think so. You know, and uh, again, uh, Baez of the five is the one who who was traded during the season. Um, you know, and the the way it's been explained to me uh, by a, a Rangers official is. You're, whoever you know, a team isn't going to be disappointed to get one of the five shortstops. You know, they're right. all very good players who are going to sure. make a difference. And you know, if if let's say the Rangers are targeting Corey Seager and they end up with uh, Trevor Story, there's not that big a difference, and they're not going to be they're not going to be like oh, our off season's ruined. They're going to they're definitely going to be a better team right. with any of those five guys. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. What about Avisal Garcia? You got any interest in him? You know, I, he, he's, he's, I don't have interest in him. This is like um, his best year, right? I mean, he's, he's been okay, but this a, was his best year in a long time. Yeah. He's, he's kind of been, a, you know, up and down and then from team to team, I, I, he came up with the White Sox, I think, or maybe it was the Tigers and he got traded to the White Sox. I don't, I don't recall uh, right off the top of my head, but you know, he's, I think he's 33. He's a little bit older. I think um, he's 30. I, I don't, whatever. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's the guy. Uh, I, I think the Rangers can do better than that. Chris Bryant, right? That's the that's the yeah, best. I mean, if Chris Bryant comes here, I, I think Chris Bryant's either a first baseman or a left fielder. It 
it makes a lot of sense. He, he can play all over. He won't cost you a draft pick. Uh, he's still pretty young considering how long he's been around. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that, um, you know, his agent is, is Scott Boris, uh, which, you know, the Rangers have dealt with Boris plenty. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that that's not a, a, a terrible way to go. I really, I really. Well, your story kind of alluded really to your prediction story. And I'm not going to say who your prediction story was. Uh, you, you had two good names on there that we've talked about a lot because you need to go buy it and, and, and read it. Uh, but, okay, I wanted to go in. You and I were there last Friday night. That was kind of the big of the four um, little games that the that the uh, fall instructs teams. TCU was the one where the two big-name pitchers went. And we, we saw uh, – who we've had on here, Ricky Venasco. We also saw TK Roby. What did you think? I mean, of course, that first inning was horrible for uh, for Ricky, but hey, nobody got a hit off of him. He just couldn't get in any control. Right. You know, you you uh, he he had wanted to see how he would respond to pitching in front of fans and pitching at night under the lights, actually having some uh, adrenaline and having to deal with it. And uh, you know, the first inning he was too fired up. He even he even said it and. Um, he couldn't get a rhythm. He was fine in the bullpen, but then, you know, you hit the mound and it's different because there's people there and batters yeah. in the box. And, you know, it, 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 it wasn't good. He, you know, the, the inning, uh, they didn't complete the inning, you know, the Rangers rolled the inning, right. Um, you know, he, he committed an error. Uh, you know, he should have, should have gotten an out, but, um, the second inning he came back and just dominated. Yeah. It's what, it's what, what we hear want, about him. Yeah. Want to see and what you hear about exactly. And, uh, so, so I think he heads into the off season on a good note. And then, uh, Roby was fantastic. Yeah. You know, he, he, well, I don't even think he threw 25 pitches over two innings and, no. um, you know, throws strikes. Uh, he, he, uh, he also was, was as advertised, you know, the concern with him is, is the elbow, which did not require surgery going to hold together. And, um, there, there's always a risk there. You always are always concerned, but, uh, you know, he went through a, a very deliberate rehab process. He saw multiple doctors. They both came to the same conclusion that he didn't need surgery. So the hope is that, uh, you know, he's, he's got young ligaments and they heal fast and, and yeah. they did. Hopefully they, they stay that way. Cause he, he's a guy that, that could, uh, um, maybe not move quickly, but he's only 19 and, um, you know, the Rangers might be able to step on the gas with them a little bit next year. Uh, just another arm just down there. And let's let's explain for a rollover, if you don't know what they did when they say roll in the inning. Um, it, it's very simple. When they're doing these exhibition games, they have pitchers lined up to pitch two innings. I mean, it's very regimented what they want to do. If a pitcher gets in trouble, either team has the right to just stop the inning. If there's so many pitches and they know they want to give them one more inning, they can just say, hey, we're rolling it. They're going to stop everything. Everyone's going to clear the field. Other team will come out. So that's why no matter what those scores are, you, you got to ignore it because they rolled the yeah. inning. So that, that's what that's about. Sure. Yeah, I mean, TCU probably would have scored more than one had, had, uh, had the inning continued. Sure. But, um, yeah. Again, you know, we've talked about it probably each of the last few episodes. The, the Rangers have pitching in the minor leagues. and, and, and So strange. Long, it's been a long time. Maybe, maybe this is a – uh, unprecedented level of, of pitching depth that they have um, something they can, we can run across past Chris Young, but um, yeah. it's, it's uh, it is unusual. And uh, it's some, it's something to talk about just because it just hasn't happened. 
I, I know it, and and you know it by covering them since two thousand eight. I've been a fan since seventy four. I just you just never hear about this much pitching in the minor league system. They've never been this deep it, all the way down. I mean, it just it's great. Okay, Melvin, this surprised me. Uh, Melvin goes and signs with the Padres, the new manager of the Padres, kind of hinting to the fact that maybe Oakland's going to start a teardown. That's going to put Chapman and Olsen. They might be people that could be traded for. I don't think Chapman would be anything the Rangers would be interested in, especially with Josh Young coming up. Does Olsen interest you? I, I, he, he should. He should interest <laughs> every, every team. I mean, he's he's uh, one of the best first basemen in baseball. Only 30 years old? I think he's only 30 years old. He's young. He, he's still in arbitration. So, I mean, he, he tailed off. He's younger than 30. Um, but he, he tailed off a little bit this year, but – still had, I think, 39 home runs, you know, I mean, he's, he is a, a complete player and, uh, you know, gold glove winner, gold glove finalist this year. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would, it would be a significant addition, but it would cost a significant amount of prospects. Um, so, uh, but I'm sure they can find a way to work through it. The A's farm system is horrendous. So uh, any, any really, a, a top, you know, let's say a, a prospect from 10 to 20 in the Rangers system would, would probably be a top 10 prospect in the A system. So right. there are ways to perhaps uh, make a deal like that uh, w- without having to surrender, a, you know, a, a, a name, a guy that you, you would like to see in a Rangers uniform. Um, yeah. But you know, there, the problem is there's going to be 29 teams that probably want to uh, take a shot for Greg Olson. Um, and, yeah. you know, he, he's entering his, uh, Second year of arbitration, uh, it's going to be you know, ten or eleven million. Not a, not a massive number. It'll get big next year. So, I think if you acquire him, you absolutely immediately start trying to extend. Push him. the button on an extension and, yep. and try to get that done. Um, you know, the it, it, it's pretty interesting that you know I, you're right. <laughs> Letting Bob Melvin go, uh, they must have said, "Hey, this is what you got to look forward to." Um, you know, I, it creates an opening for Ron Washington, honestly. Yeah. Uh, just with his ties to, to Oakland, and uh, you know, it'd be if they go and do this rebuild, it would be a young team that that Wash could get the most out of, and yeah. you know, Wash is a great coach. Uh, so, so there's a fit there, but you know, it's uh, the, the the A's have a lot of arbitration eligible players who are who are potentially going to be available and. Um, you know, Sean Manaya off the Manaya off the top of my head is one of them. Yeah. Uh, but they have a they have a couple starters, so um, we'll see what happens. But it's uh, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. And Bean's done this so many times, where he'll he'll just have those that year or two where they where they dip, and then all of a sudden they're right back in it. That that small ball thing they play, or what do you call it? The money uh, ball, money ball that they, they that they play. I, I Olsen would interest me, and you would think going back, it would it would be obvious that Nate Lowe would probably start the deal going back because they would need a first baseman and a major league ready first baseman. But yeah, dipping into the prospects, the Rangers are deep. But yeah, I don't think you know, I don't think you're going to be talking guys uh, that we haven't heard of. Those are going to be somebody we know that we're, right. uh, that's going right. to have to be in that deal. Billy Bean's not stupid, right? And you know they they've done a good Oakland does a great job identifying players and, and turning them into turning them into good major leaguers. They really do. And yeah. um, it's, it's uh, I, I, I don't know what it would take, you know, tra- trades, trades have changed uh, in recent years. I mean, you look at uh, San Diego getting you Darvish and I, I don't even know if they got rid of a top 10 prospect or maybe it was just one, 
that it's, yeah. it's kind of a quantity over quality thing. You know, and you look at what the Yankees did to get Joey Gallo, they traded four prospects, but uh, none of them were in the Yankees top 10, but two of them, Duran and Smith became Rangers top 10 picks. So right. there, are way, there are ways to do it. And, you know, you don't, you don't know what other teams like and, and how they evaluate players. So yeah. um, anyway, that's putting the cart before the horse, but it is something that the Rangers should look at. If yeah. you have this money and want to get better and Greg Olson's a Matt, Matt Olson's available, you go do it. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all I had. Anything else you had before we get Chris on here? Well, no, uh, I, I am excited though. You know, we, we've gotten to through the world series and we've been talking about free agents so much and trades and all this stuff. Well, it's about to happen now. It's here. Know? Yeah. And, and the, th- the thing is, you know, it's not going to go fast. It's, it's not a, it's not a fast process, no. you know, it, and, and, you know, even if there's not a work stoppage, it, it takes a while, you know, yeah. you, you want to see markets, to, players want to see markets develop. Um, now, if they, if somebody just comes in and, and hits them over the head with a suitcase full of cash, they're going to sign, but um, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty eager to see how it plays out for the Rangers, obviously, because uh, that's my day job, but uh, <laughs> also just to, just to see who, who goes where and, and what the teams who lose players look like, you know, what's Houston going to look like if, if they don't resign Correa. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to, I think what Verlander who didn't pitch from it all this year, I think he's a free agent too. So right. they're going to look different. Um, it, it's just every year, once the dust settles, things, things have been shaken up. And I think this year there's a chance it could be pretty significant in the, in the AL West. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know what? People want to listen to, want to hear what Chris Young has to say. Uh, it, this is great that he's coming on this. So let's go to Chris Young right now. All right. And joining us now from out in his office at Globe Life Field is Texas Rangers general manager, Chris Young. Chris, thanks so much for stopping down and coming on with us today. No, thanks for having me guys. Uh, happy to be with you. Yeah, I've been been uh, trying trying to trying to get you, and you're a busy man. We're, we're, this is a, it's got to be exciting. It's it's a good busy. No, it, it is, Jeff. It has been a good busy. It's been um, you know the first calendar year. Uh, so much of it has been new to me. Um, that said, I think it's made the year go fast, and um, never quite knowing what to expect uh, with every month. But nonetheless, um, here we are, kind of eleven months in for me, and. Uh, Certainly, have seen most aspects of the job at this point, and um, it's been it's been very very exciting and enjoyable, and um, you know I've learned a ton. Well, good. Um, I, I just said this uh, before you came on. Uh, I'm pretty excited. You know, the World Series is over. We're in that we're in that five day window, and then all hell's going to break loose potentially. And I know it goes slow, but still, you know. It, <laughs> You're you're gonna you're gonna get this is gonna be a busy offseason for the Rangers and it's about to get going. Yeah, that's uh, you know I'm excited for it as well. I think that we we have a lot to look forward to. I think that we've got um, some really um, creative opportunities here uh, to improve our club and uh, give our fans a reason to get excited. And certainly we're looking forward to it. How that's going to play out, um, you know, is still to be determined. But yes, it's uh, it, you know we're close to the uh, starting. Um, point right now and uh and excited to get going here all right so yeah you started december 4th last year i think um kind of weird because we're in the middle of covid it was before the before the vaccine as before anybody knew what was going on so uh i want to say you're a stranger but i I don't know that you've had a chance to maybe get out and and be as visible as you'd want to be um how how has that affected things you think 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly has uh, impacted um, the ability. I, I think in certain ways it's impacted the ability to be in person and, and establish personal connections and relationships. I think in other ways it's, it's you know, connected us in different ways um, electronically, similar to what we're doing right now. So, uh, you know, I think Zoom is a tool um, that we probably haven't utilized uh, in the past to the extent that we can to keep each other connected. Um, and I think it's something moving forward that we'll be able to. Uh, so, um, but yes, you know, I love being out in the field. I love uh, being around and getting to know um, our personnel, our players, our staff. Um, and, uh, you know, I think as we return to sort of a more normal lifestyle, I'll be able to do more of that. And I, I enjoy it. I look forward to it. So the, the ledger will, will show forever that your first season was 102 losses. Uh, uh, Congratulations. What, what, what did you, but what are the positives that came out of the 2021 season? Well, I, I think that there were several, um, you know, first and foremost, that it's behind us. I, I think it's, it's, you know, it was the roughest year we're going to have. I think it was, um, you know, expected to a degree. Um, and even though it was expected, it did not make it easy. It certainly was painful. Every single loss um, as they piled up stretches where we lost you know, 10, 12 games in a row, it was really, really tough. And, um, you know, knowing that that is hopefully behind us, that we have good, uh, good times to look forward to, uh, that it's going to get better from here. That, that first and foremost, I think is, um, something that, uh, is a positive that it's, you know, it's just the worst is over. Um, you know, I, I think we had two main goals going into the season. The first of which was to reestablish our culture, our identity, what we're about. I think that, uh, Woody and our major league coaches did a great job, of really um, committing to that and reestablishing that. I think that uh, our players were terrific. We lost 102 games, but our players did not quit. They did not give in. They fought. They played hard. They played the game the right way. Uh, we were just out-talented to an extent. And um, certainly, uh, as we expect to add more talent, um, we continue to play the game that way, play the game the right way. Um, the wins will, will happen, and I, I'm very confident in that. Um, thirdly, I think that we found out about some of our, our core players moving forward. We, we kind of got a peek at some of the guys who are going to be part of uh, this years to come, and we're excited about the future there. And, um, and, you know, I think we've got a lot of work to do in adding to some of those players, but certainly we saw some positive things and good seasons from young players who got opportunities who may not otherwise um, would have had those opportunities without um, the commitment to this, to this um, rebuild. Yeah, the, the, the culture thing and the, the playing hard, I mean, that's something you've harped on. Um, and, and John and I say it every, every, every episode when we talk about minor leaguers, about what just unbelievable like kids these are, like they're mature. Yeah. They, 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 get, they get it. It just seems like, you know, I, I'm just overwhelmed by it. Like the Jack Leiter press conference just knocked my doors off. I, I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't fathom being that composed at his age. Um, so what, what is it about the character that, that you think is, is so essential? Was, was there a, a team that you were on that you're like, this is what, this is how baseball should be. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, it's, it's really not just even a professional team. It's kind of going back to, you know, all good teams that I've been part of, whether it was in high school, um, college, minor leagues, and then into the professional ranks there were certain similarities and traits that um, those teams exhibited. And that was, you know, really a respect for each other, a respect for the game and um, playing the game the right way. And I, I'm a firm believer in that. And it's up to us to choose the right personnel who embody those, uh, those traits, but also to create an environment and expectation to set really, really high standards for, for everybody that um, 
mediocrity is not is not acceptable. We are here to to really um, be part of something special, to build something special. And I, I really I understand it's hard for fans to understand that when we've lost 102 games, um, but nobody here was satisfied with the results, and uh, and our players weren't satisfied. So as we continue to foster that environment, I, I and I, you know to the contrary, I've been on other teams, especially professionally, that were you know, that, that, that were under 500 and there was a complacency. There was a, a satis, there was a satisfaction with being, you know, just, Hey, it's okay. We're in the big leagues. It's all right. And um, that's, that's the difference between good organizations and, and ones that, you know, really can't climb out of these things. So uh, setting those high standards and reestablishing who we are and what we're about and how we go about it. Um, I was very, very pleased with our group, despite the, the losses. You know, the, the, the one thing I think the analytic, analytics era has, has brought on is that, um, at least in my opinion, is that people think players are in a vacuum and that, that you can drop any player in any situation and that chemistry gets disregarded. And I just, I just, I, I, as a player, I'd, I'd assume that you can't, you, you can't uh, not have a good chemistry the whole thing won't work Uh, Jeff you're you're preaching to the choir I mean I I just especially in baseball I I have a theory that chemistry in baseball is maybe more important than chemistry in any other sport and the reason is that our our players spend so much time together I mean you you've seen the lifestyle you understand that these guys show up at noon or one o'clock and they're here till after midnight and um, they're in a they're in and around each other for 12 hours a day. They're on the team plane. They see each other every day. Um, and if you don't have a group that really gets along, that cares for one another, um, if you have guys who really don't fit in or distractions, um, they take away from the environment. They they the players instead start focusing on um, what those guys are doing instead of what they need to do to be prepared that night. But when you have a group that really understands what the expectation is. Um, how to go about it on a daily basis, how to put the team first and create that culture uh, where it's about the team and it's not about the individual. It goes a long way. And I think we saw that a little bit with Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta just won the World Series and you talk about they just had some you know, a, a magical run that came together at the right time. And I think it's a perfect example. I, I felt that way in Kansas City in 2015 when we won the World Series. Um, we were not the most talented team but we were the best team. We were the team that played the game the right way, that fought for one another, that were inspired on a daily basis by one another. And that's what we're trying to create. And you're right. That's really hard to quantify, but it's also what makes it great and why I want us to create that type of environment with our group. Yeah. uh, And and that's not just the players, it's the coaches as well. And you guys just uh, made a pretty significant hire uh, on on the, uh, the bench coach with Donnie Eckert. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of how he fits into that, but also what you know, he, he, he's an offensive guy, but he's also going to be Chris Woodward's right-hand man and, and they need to mesh. And I just wondered what, what your thoughts are on how that's going to, going to look. You know, the bench coach, he, he's an extension of Chris Woodward in terms of um, establishing, setting high standards and expectations, holding people accountable, um, really being Woody's eyes and ears um, on a daily basis. And then on top of that, what he brings in terms of our offensive game planning and the uh, the ability to impact the game and the preparation, 
um, and, and prepare our players uh, to, to win on a nightly basis, how we're going to compete, how we're going to go out and offensively uh, attack the other team. So, um, you know, I think it's a, a great, um, a great addition to our club. I think he matches all of our values and I'm really, really excited um, that he's now a part of our group. I think he's going to make each one of us better, myself included. I wasn't there for the press conference when when uh, when Donnie came in. Uh, did was Chris a part of that? I'm assuming. Obviously, this is his bench coach. How much was he a part of that? Oh yeah, Woody. Woody was uh, um, Woody was a part of the whole decision making process. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story about um, we were in our pro scout meetings a couple weeks ago in Arizona, and uh, we you know we meet all day long, and Woody was seated next to me. And for our afternoon session, Woody disappeared for about three hours. And, you know, Woody lives in Arizona. So I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, where did Woody go? Did he go home? Where, you know, how could he be gone this long? What's going on? Uh, we're having important discussions about our personnel decisions for next season. Um, we need our, our big league manager here. And finally, he comes back in and he whispers, I was on the phone with Donnie. And so Woody had spent three hours on a call with Donnie. It was not an interview at that point. It was simply a, we had um, permission to speak with him and Woody was introducing himself and they, they spent three hours connecting. And I knew right then, like that was a pretty good sign and uh, was really, really excited to debrief. I talked to Donnie later that night and we spent over an hour just doing the same thing. We didn't even talk baseball. We talked life and it was um, such an instant connection. And I knew immediately he, he fit what we're trying to do here. And that's a, uh, you know, that's part in part why we're really excited about him. Jeff. I, I'm back. I'm back. It's been a heck of a, it's been a heck of a technology day at the Wilson residence. We had a, we had a two, hour power, two hours without power and then, and then this. So um, I'm on my, I'm on my phone, which kind of changes the angle and everything, but that's, that's cool. Um, we can still see your master's flag in the background. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what's most important. Me and Ben Hogan back there. Uh, so what's the timeline on, on the hitting coach and uh, the assistant hitting coach? Yeah, um, we're in the process right now. Uh, we've interviewed several candidates. We're continuing to interview several more. And um, we're hoping that in the next, you know, really week to 10 days that we can have that wrapped up and have some clarity as to uh, our big league staff um, for the 2022 season. Are you are you are there internal candidates who are uh, candidates? Um. We, we have talked to internal candidates, but at this point, we're focused on the external candidates. Uh, but um, certainly, we, we um, yes, there have been. Yeah. Well, I, 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 there, there's, there is value in continuity. And what, what Donnie's going to do as the offensive coordinator, from what we're told, is, is going to trickle down. And, uh, you know, Cody Atkinson, who uh, I know a lot of prospects are very high on, you know, if he's given the message, I think it, I think it helps out uh, throughout the system. Um, so I, I, I can understand that, but uh, it, it's, it's important to have the same message filter throughout. Is it not? Yeah, Jeff, you're, um, you're absolutely right. We, we are very focused on that uh, element of continuity and creating uh, consistent messaging throughout our entire organization. I think that's something that we certainly want to improve both on the offensive and defensive sides um, of having um, the same philosophies. I think we've done it a little bit better on the pitching side than the hitting, but I think this presents a great opportunity for us to uh, create even better continuity on the hitting side um, from the major leagues throughout our entire system. Yeah, it, it, it seems like the 
the way the message is delivered has changed. Maybe, maybe coaches had the technology. Um, Speaking of technology, it just seems like there's an emphasis on maybe players weren't getting, maybe the players weren't getting the message. Fuck. Hey, uh, yeah. Well, we caught that one, Jeff. Yeah, we. <laughs> oh, good. We caught the f bomb. So my editing skills. <laughs> Leave it in. Anyway, what I was saying is, has the message has the? It seems like there's a much more much more emphasis on getting the message to the players because the message has changed so much. It just seems like that's maybe that wasn't happening and now it has to happen and that you have to have guys who understand the message to, to, to give it to the players. Yeah. Look, I think there's a, a number of reasons for this. I think that, um, you know, as you look at kind of our industry on the whole, uh, pitching is probably outpaced hitting in terms of the advancements, um, the improvements, uh, both technologically and, and in terms of the performance. I mean, um, and so I think that, creating that continuity and finding ways to uh, message different things. And then also it's, there's a game planning element to it as well. So getting everybody on the same page as, as you know, both individually, this is what you're trying to do. And collectively, this is what we are trying to do um, on a nightly basis to, to um, win the game. I think that's really, really key. I think that's one of the areas Donnie really excelled. And I'm looking forward to implementing, um, having him implement a lot of that here. I think that's, um, you know, you, there's, it's so important that you, each player understands who they are and what their strengths are and what they have to do uh, when they step in the batter's box. But likewise, as an offense collectively, how we strategically are going to beat the opposing pitcher. All right. I'm going to get out of the way here. Uh, that's all the baseball I've got. I'm stand. I'm standing by. But all right. John's, John's going to get us on the lighter side here. Yeah, yeah. All Mine's right. more fun. I like to talk more about you, Chris, and your career and uh -oh. everything. Yeah, but you know, I got to ask this because there's actually a, a, a something that you may remember this. You not remember me, but remember this. Um, first of all, Stafford and Kershaw. They're younger than you, right? Correct. How, were were they in high school at all with you? Were you like a senior and they were in freshman or? No, I was uh, eight years older, so I hate to say that um, I was in <laughs> high school and they were in elementary school. But uh, did you know their families or anything? So. Helen Park's a little titan. Yeah, I, I, I'm very close with Clayton. Uh, do not know uh, Stafford at all, but very, very close with Clayton. Know uh, he and his wife Ellen and their family, and um, they live not far from us and uh, see him frequently. Okay, well, uh, the reason I, I do remember one time when the the, the year Stafford took them to the state championship. Um, I was, I went out to watch Stafford play, uh, Stephenville in, yeah. and you were there, uh, yes. they, they were playing Stephenville up in Denton. Uh, right. you set one row behind me. I'm short and fat. I hope I didn't get in your way. Um, <laughs> and I you could see over you. Thank, uh, you were you able to get over me? Okay. And see that. So now let me ask you this, you, you basketball and baseball, you, they, I read where you had some power and you DH how many homers did you hit in high school? <laughs> I think I only hit one. I was a uh, I was a doubles hitter, John. Because <laughs> <laughs> of speed, it's just a speed. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, this was interesting to me. I know you, everybody knows you went to Princeton and you played basketball and baseball. You were the first freshman to win the Ivy League Rookie of the Year for two sports for both basketball and baseball. Was baseball your first love, or was basketball? Both. I, I always said, uh, I, I, you know, baseball sort of chose me. Um, I loved whichever season it was, whichever sport I was playing at the time was my favorite. And, um, you know, and, and frankly, 
it was something I did my whole life. I, I grew up playing both sports, um, similar to my kids right now. I knew nothing different. So the idea that you could only play one sport in college, the seasons overlapped a little bit, but really why? I didn't, it just it puzzled me as to why there were limitations there. So, um, you know, it was a, one of the main criteria is I came out of high school that I was only going to a school where I could play both sports. I, I was good enough to play both and uh, was not going to limit myself. And, um, and you know, I, only when you get to sort of the professional level did the seasons overlap too much and the talent is so high that yeah. uh, I knew I'd have to make a choice. Well, let me ask hey, you, Chris, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Chris, uh, Jeff. Did, did Pete Carell recruit you or was it Bill Carmody? It was Bill Carmody. Pete Carrill had uh, retired um, two years okay. before I got there. It was Bill Carmody and Jeff. They were coming off a season in which they had gone, I, I think, uh, 28 and one. I think they had only lost one game the year before I got there. They made it to, I think, the Sweet 16 or uh, anyway, they had a phenomenal year the year before I got there. And so um, certainly the basketball program was uh, there was great appeal to go there and and be part of a great special program and potentially, you know, play four years in the NCAA tournament. Do you do you remember the Georgetown Princeton 116 game? It was in the late 80s. Well, no, it was Iverson. So um, do you remember watching that? No, it was. I don't think it was. It was morning. Right. And it was 89. Okay, yeah. It was 89. And morning had a block shot at the buzzer uh to, to seal a georgetown victory but um i i did not remember that i learned it through princeton history okay. uh, but we did play georgetown my freshman year and so i remember that georgetown game and um we beat georgetown but nobody nobody cares about that one because <laughs> in the nit tournament <laughs> yeah no i remember i was in a, a little italian restaurant in denver watching it on a black and white tv so oh, I, wow. I remember yeah. Anyway, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's a special part of Princeton history, and certainly they're they're um, you know that game and the UCLA game when Princeton right. up UCLA uh, are very very uh, memorable in in Princeton uh, history. I've got I've got a story for that one too. I was in Las Vegas, and um, everybody had the under uh, because it was Princeton, and uh, Princeton the game the game went to overtime, and. Uh, it was going to be over and everybody's going to lose their bets. And there's one guy, all the TVs, it was the leg game. So all the TVs were on the Princeton game. And there was a guy, every time they were shooting free throws, he was standing up and trying to distract them, even though they were on TV and thousands of miles away. But that's, uh, <laughs> those are my two Princeton stories. That's a great memory. I, that's a, the fact that you can remember that game is uh, pretty impressive, Jeff, um, that fan specifically. <laughs> well, I probably had the under too. But. <laughs> You know, hey, you know, when you came out of college, you were obviously a good athlete. So you said that was the only school that offered you both, said you could play both. Um, no, no, that, that was um, – it wasn't the only school, but it was a criteria for every school. Okay. That, what other schools recruited you? Did you have offers from? Any Power 5 schools? Yeah, my, my um, top three choices were Princeton, Vanderbilt, and the University of Texas. And uh, was going to play both sports at, at all three of those. Um, you know, Texas and Vanderbilt were scholarship schools. So basketball would have supplied the scholarship. I would have been a free player for the baseball program. Right. Uh, but ultimately decided Princeton was the right fit for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the balance between both sports and the academics, the seasons didn't overlap as much either up, up north. So the Princeton baseball team started a little bit later. I wouldn't miss as much of the baseball season. And, uh, just felt like it was a good opportunity to go to an institution that um, probably would not have otherwise been able to get into if I didn't have um, basketball and baseball to, to help me. You know, I read an interesting thing. So it, they, you were drafted in the third round by the Pirates, and you negotiated into your contract 
uh, before you signed that you were going to be able to finish your degree. Now, where did you do your own negotiation or did you have an agent at the time? No, I, I had an agent, but that was also, um, you know, one of the strict criteria I had to sign uh, professionally is that I would play pro baseball in the summers. And then once the season was over, I'd go back to campus and continue my education to complete my degree. It was very, very important to me that I got my degree was not walking away uh, from the two years I had put into uh, to Princeton academically. And frankly, um, you know, my expectation when I signed was that I wanted to play professional baseball until I was 40 years old. Um, right. You know, at that point, hopefully be uh, married with children. And um, I, I didn't envision taking them back to a college campus to finish my degree. So yeah, I uh, knew I needed to get it done while I was while I was playing. Well, you did. Is, so that, the Jack, is that the Jack Leiter plan? It's very similar, Jeff. That was why, um, as we negotiated with Jack, it was something that I, you know, have lived and done. I knew it can be done. Um, frankly, as we looked at Jack's workload totals over the course of um, of this past spring and summer, we knew we were going to shut him down. He wasn't going to pitch, um, so it made perfect sense to allow him to go back to campus and work towards his degree. So you played 13 years. What was your plan if baseball or pro sports didn't work for you? What What were you want? What were you studying? What were you going to do? Politics? Well, that's a great question. I never really had a fallback plan. I never knew uh, <laughs> what I wanted to do. I, I, you know, I knew that I loved playing both sports. I wanted to be a professional athlete, and it never really crossed my mind that it may not happen. So, um, I, you know, John, I was very, very fortunate that I've been able to live out my dream. Um, I was a politics major, and uh, that was by default more than interest. If I could do it over again, I would have done psychology. It's much more applicable to what I'm doing now. And uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, but I, in the end, um, I had to choose something. I, I quickly realized at Princeton my freshman year after my first econ exam uh, that I was not going to be an economics major, that, that <laughs> these kids that were, um, you know, uh, preparing to go to Wall Street were much smarter than me and uh, they didn't have to study as hard. And so I, I quickly switched majors. Um, and it was between print, uh, politics and history and uh chose politics so um but psychology if i could do it all over again would have been my my major of choice okay so this is going to throw everybody for a loop because it threw me for a loop i met <laughs> you first time you came down uh, and we we were we were given access to the field finally as me uh -huh. and you came down one day and we talked to you and you were just such so nice as nice as you were and every time inter every interaction this interview now uh, just what a great guy you are such a nice guy are you and Derek Lee cool now? Or, I mean, are y'all friends now? I mean, uh, let's go back to June 16th, 2007. Uh, you guys had a brawl. <laughs> um, That's out of know, character. <laughs> John, if you asked any of my teammates, it was absolutely not out of character. Um, they, they, they said I took on a different personality between the lines and... Uh, <laughs> But, but I will tell you this, to answer your question, um, yes, Derek and I are on great terms. Um, he's someone I, I greatly respect. He had a tremendous career. He was a, a tremendous person, um, first and foremost, and, uh, but, but also a great baseball player. And um, while we don't keep in touch, um, we did mend the fence um, over what was you know, a, a big misunderstanding. And, and frankly, it was the biggest regret of my, excuse me, of my career. Um, you know, I, I uh, look back on that now and think about, I was a young player. I was in an intimidating environment, Wrigley Field. Uh, there was a misunderstanding over hit by pitch. Um, he certainly was upset. Um, I, I felt like he didn't have, you know, he, he was, um, I didn't understand why he was upset. And I felt like I can't back down. I'm sort of a, uh, you know, a, <laughs> 
alpha male type mentality <laughs> in a competitive environment. And, um, you know, it led to, to a brawl. Fortunately, neither one of us landed punches. Um, he threw a great right that, that just missed me. And then I responded with one that just missed him. Fortunately, and we got separated. Uh, but truly, um, you know, he, he did actually something really, really touching um, the next year. Uh, it says speaks a lot to his character. Um, I had gotten hit in the face with a line drive. Um, and uh, it was by uh, Albert Pujols and the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, the next series, the Cubs came in town and um, he sought me out to check in, see how I was doing. It really was touching. It meant a lot. And I'll never forget it. It speaks to sort of his character and who he is. And, um, you know, ultimately these things happen in the heat of competition. Um, but I do regret it, especially now that my kids can Google it. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I get often asked to sign the photo. I never signed it, never once signed it because I didn't want to be um, disrespectful to Derek. Um, I just didn't. So I've never autographed that picture. I never will. <laughs> well, that's oh. it. It's a great segue into your family that we're going to end it on. Um, first of all, you know what, Jeff and I, were, Jeff, you and I were pondering this. Uh, the night at DBU, your son was there. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah playing with the, I, when I caught you there when I was leaving. How old is he? He's nine years old. Yeah. He looks like he's <laughs> 13, but he's nine. Because <laughs> Henry's there and he's what? What? How old's Henry? Nine. Yeah, my son's there. He's, he was nine. You're, <laughs> I don't know where your son gets his height from, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I was like, I was asking Jeff, I go, you think he's the same age as Henry? He goes, no, he's got to be 12 or 13. <laughs> So Grant, that was Grant, my youngest. Grant is, um, he's my little guy and he's got all of dad's worst qualities, um, which uh, may serve him well later in life, but he is a challenge. He, he, you know, I brought him to the game thinking we'd sit in the stands and watch the game. And as soon as he saw the grassy area uh, down, down to the right, he, um, he immediately knew, okay, there's a spot for dad and I to play. And yeah. um, actually the beauty, it's the beauty of, of what I do uh, is that, he doesn't view dad as a, you know, having a cool job because he's the general manager of the Texas Rangers. Dad is cool because we can go to fields and play together. And that's what I love about it. So um, it makes it special, but um, you know, it's also hard when, uh, when he's telling me what to do, he's very passionate and he's telling me, dad, don't, you know, don't even think about trading Joey Gallo. So uh, he's, he, he loves these guys and he's as invested as anybody in this team, but it's, it's been a lot of fun for, for me and my family. I, I think for my <laughs> wife too, um, despite the, despite the 102 losses. Well, and that, that's what I wanted to end on was your wife. Um, if, am I hearing this right? Your wife's from a hockey family, right? Is that, is that right? <laughs> my wife comes from a hockey family. She's um, long history of hockey tradition in her family. In fact, I think she has four family members in the hockey hall of fame. So oh uh, yeah, her maiden name is Patrick um, right. as in the Patrick division, um, formerly of the NHL uh, Patrick division. So um, she is, uh, she, she didn't know much about baseball when we first started dating, but now she's uh, she's more versed in baseball than she is hockey. That's good. So are you a big hockey fan now? I mean, I'm uh, obviously you don't, is your father-in-law still involved? My, my father-in-law is my father-in-law is the president um, of the Washington Capitals and he's been there since 1982. He may be at this point, the longest standing executive in, in sports, um, you know, on the hockey offside. It's pretty remarkable. He's had a tremendous uh, distinguished career, um, you know, uh, um, highlighted by winning the Stanley cup in 2018. And um, right. It's really, I'm very fortunate to have um, him as sort of a mentor to me uh, in terms of the sports world and, and uh, giving me advice on, you know, all the ups and downs. 
So well, you got you got to lift the cup. I did. I was very <laughs> conscientious. Um, I, I didn't feel um, like I had earned the right to to touch the Stanley Cup, but um, but certainly, really, really uh, was special to see you know him and his life's work um, getting that opportunity. It was really neat, and I yeah, I hope awesome. that you know I hope to have the same experience as a Texas Ranger and uh, seeing our team and our fans um, holding the World Series trophy. It's it's going to be very special when it happens. I agree. It's going to happen. Yeah, I think so. This and they're on the right track for sure. Especially this, the the the, the minor league system right now is at the top of where it's been in a long, long time. And so um, I, I'm telling you, the depth in pitching. We talked about that, Jeff. That good lord, it's just yeah. crazy how good the pitching is. Well, Chris, I think we have kept you long enough, and you came on here and the hard hitting questions about fighting and hockey. <laughs> the hardest hitting question was Jeff, when he brought up my, my first year uh, record here, I've got a lot of work hey. to get over 500. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to remember that Jeff. I'm, I hope you do. <laughs> well guys, that's Chris Young, the general manager of the Texas Rangers. Chris, thanks so much for taking your time out of your day to do this. And we will see you out at the yard there. Guys. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. All right, man. Appreciate you. See you soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. See you. All right. All right. All right, guys. That was Chris, uh, Jeff. Uh, fantastic. What a great time. I mean, yeah. he was engaging. I, I'm telling you, I can't even imagine it in my head that that guy got in a brawl with somebody. I mean, I get, you know, you talk about competitive juices. You get on the field and the competitive juices come on and, uh, and do that. I just, you know, I, but <laughs> I've talked to him a couple of times. I couldn't imagine it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, it, it's, I, I think there are a lot of parallels. It sounds like between him and Jack Leiter, obviously, obviously not the height, uh, but, um, yeah. intelligence factor and, 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 you know, it sounds like Jack Leiter when he is on the field is an amazing competitor and, um, you know, yeah. there there are guys that that have that, and I think that's one of the things that stands out about Ricky Venasco and, and Cole Wynn. It, you know, they're guys who get out there and are absolute bulldogs and and want to destroy the other hitter. Yeah, and um, you know, it's it, it's an intense deal. You know, the pitcher the pitcher controls the game. The pitcher the pitcher is the guy, and they're not just throwing it up there. They want to they want to win and. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. And if, you, if you're going to be in the majors for 13 years, you have to have that. Yeah, exactly. Because he wasn't one of the hardest throwers. He threw in the the low, to, you know, the low 90s. Uh, just had pure control on the field and was a bulldog out there. And you look at his overall record as good as ERAs in the threes. Um, this guy, yeah. 13 years. That's career. a good player. Yeah, that's a good yeah. player. Well, no matter what you say. Well, Jeff, I think that's it. You're the technical difficulties. Uh, good Lord. Yeah, I know. Guys, we apologize for that. Uh, Jeff had a power outage at the house uh, trying to get all lined up there, but it, it actually came across very well for what you were dealing with earlier. Before yeah, I'm, we look, came. I'm looking forward to hearing his answer about Donnie Eckerd. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I really am. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. So, yeah, yeah, do it to me. Well, that's it, guys. We want to thank Chris Young for joining us. Jeff, As again, once again, um, you've got to call someone right now because you've got something coming up uh, that, that's going to be pretty good. But uh, yeah. anything else? Yeah. No, uh, just, you know, uh, jeffwilson.substack.com, $60 a year, $5.99 a month. Yep. Uh, there will very soon, assuming I'm able to make this next connection, uh, a story, uh, I'm going to talk to Ron Washington. And, yeah. 
uh, about the week he's had and the journey he's been on and what might be next. Yeah, so, so, so he did uh, something, look right? That, look for that in the, in the coming days. Um, but yeah, I got to call him right now, as a matter of fact. So, okay, John, guys, we're out of here. We're out of here, guys. And guys, uh, thanks to thanks to Jeff. Uh, don't forget jeffwilson.substack.com. Besides that, we'll see you at the yard. <laughs>